everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, and it's been a busy time in the South Florida sports scene as the calendar finally flips to May. Uh, before we get to baseball, a big congratulations to both the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat on their first round victories in their respective playoff runs. Both teams going in as the eight seeds, barely making it into the playoffs, and just having massive opening round upsets. The Heat beating the Bucks in five, Jimmy Butler with an absolutely phenomenal performance in that fi- in that final game. And then you look at what the Panthers have done. Go down 3-1 in a series to not just number one seed in the NHL, but the best regular season team in NHL history in the Boston Bruins. Go down 3-1 in that series and then take game five, game six, and game seven with the series clincher being a massive 4-3 come-from-behind overtime win to make it to the second round against Toronto Maple Leafs. Just a good time for underdogs in South Florida. You have what the Heat and the Panthers did. You saw what both UN basketball teams did during their March Madness runs. FAU as well. And speaking of underdogs, could the Miami Marlins try to find their way into that mix? Obviously, we're still very early into the baseball season, but we're a month in. The Marlins are 16 and 13. They just swept the Chicago Cubs for their first series series sweep of the season. Uh, again, I've talked last week about their struggles against the Mets and the Braves. They're three and eight against them, but 13 and five against everyone else. Swept the Cubs, one series against the Twins, the Guardians, Phillies, Giants, and Diamondbacks. They're finding ways to come up in clutch situations. They're a perfect 10 and 0 in one run games. And when you consider last year that when they went 24 and 40 in those situations, the start 10 and 0, something that is hasn't been done since I believe the 2014 Dodgers, and only one team has a better record to start in one run games in MLB history, uh, one of the Mets teams back in the 70s, finding those ways to grind out those games that they most likely would have lost last year just based off how we saw them, saw how they played. It's a good start for Ship Skip Schumacher's crew. Uh, six wins this year already when tied or trailing after six innings. Eight total comeback wins. Getting it from a little bit of everywhere. Obviously, Luis Arias just flat out dominating. 438 batting average, 500 on base percentage. Marks that haven't been seen since Barry Bonds in, I believe it was his 2014 season. Marks that hadn't been seen by a Marlins player ever in through the first month of the season, he's slowly but surely, well, not slowly but surely, he's just showing what he's the Marlins were hoping for from him. He's Every time he comes up, you're basically looking and going, okay, okay, we know he's going to get the hit. Where is he going to get the hit? Where is he going to do it? The fact that he's able to just make hitting look as easy as he does just is uncanny. But with that said, there are a few things that the Marlins are going to need to improve if they want to sustain this winning. And first and foremost, let's look at that offense. They're still, again, they're doing enough to win, but they're still only averaging about 3.4 runs per game. They're, I believe, the only team with a winning record in baseball entering the month of May that has scored fewer than 100 runs. They're at 99 runs over twenty over 29 games, 3.41 runs per game. They're going to need more than that. And the Marlins have acknowledged that. Obviously, a rise has been hot. Jazz Chisholm Jr. is finally starting to get things going. Uh, you see you see the glimpses every now and again from Jorge Soler, from Avisao Garcia, from 
Jesus Sanchez, who's on, I believe, a six-game on-base streak at this point. But the Marlins are going to need those guys to collectively come together. Gene Segura as well. You see the moments there, but then you also see him just ground the ball in the double plays. But they have the pieces there to make it work. And if their starting pitching is able to get back to the form that the Marlins have seen, they're starting pitching over the last few years, it'll all work out. But they're starting pitching has underwhelmed so far. There have been a couple injuries as well. Johnny Cueto, again, he only threw one inning before getting hurt in his first start. Trevor Rogers got only went he went three innings in his fourth start. Hasn't been back since. He's still on the IL, still no throw. Uh, Sandy Alcantara removed the complete game shutout against the Twins in his second start, and he still is finding his way. And when you put all of that together, the Marlins starting pitchers have been averaging just 4.89 innings per start. And through tw- of 29 games, only seven times has the Marlins starting pitcher gone at least six innings. Miami's going to get a lot more more than that as they move forward, especially because of the burden that it's going to continue to put on the bullpen. Now, with that said, the bullpen has done a pretty phenomenal job considering how much it's been used. When you look at high-leverage, late-and-close situations, which are defined as Situations when the batting team is either tied ahead by one or has a tying run on deck. The Marlins are holding opponents to a 207 batting average and a 1.01 whip. Those are both top 10 in the league. And any and all of their save situations in the ninth or tenth, ninth inning or extra innings, they've converted. They've blown, they technically have two blown saves, but those were situations where the game got tied in the seventh or eighth inning. So not something where it was that that at bat that inning was going to define the game. AJ Puck has established himself as a closer. Dylan Floro's established himself as the number two. And then the Marlins have options behind them. When both of those guys are out, they can turn to Tanner Scott. They can turn to Matt Barnes. Waskar Brazabon has stepped up a lot more than I thought he was going to step up. Began the year as a middle inning, multi-inning guy. And then when JT Chaguaga hurt, he ended up turning into a high leverage guy, a guy who can come in with runners on and and strand the inherited runners. He stepped up. Stephen Oakridge returned. So uh, Matt Barnes as well. They have pieces there where they can rotate guys around. So even if the bullpen is racking up innings, it's not all falling on the same one, two, or three guys, which happened more often than not last year, especially late last year after they traded Anthony Bass and Zach Pop away, it was basically down to, uh, it was down to uh, Floro, Oak, Floro, Oker, and Scott as the main three guys for basically every high leverage situation. Having the options, having the depth, which was the Marlins, one of the Marlins' main priorities this offseason, it's already showing the benefits. And now with that, a quick look at what the May schedule is going to look like. And a quick reminder that the Marlins, remember, last year they were dominating April as well. And then between injuries, poor clutch hitting, underperformance, they fell apart in May and were never able to recover. Miami went 7-19 and in May last year, and that basically just sank them in terms of their win-loss record. Uh, their schedule this May uh, includes a home series against the Braves that starts on Tuesday, then followed by a road trip that goes to the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, a homestand against the Cincinnati Reds and the Washington Nationals, and then a three-city road trip to the San Francisco Giants, Colorado Rockies, and Los Angeles Angels. Compared to what their schedule was last month, this schedule 
is relatively easier. Obviously, the Reds are the Reds, the Nationals, the Giants, and the Rockies are all hovering below 500 for the most part. Nationals are last in the NL East. The Reds are hovering down. Uh, the Giants have not been not been hot this year so far. The Diamondbacks are still the top team in the NL West, but we'll see what happens there. And again, Braves and Cubs, the Marlins just faced them. Marlins swept the Cubs. They lost three of four against the Braves. So have some familiarity with the early part of the schedule. If the Marlins can keep their heads above water going into June, it puts them in a very good spot. Okay, you guys have heard me ramble enough today through this episode. So how about an interview? Uh, Last week, I had the chance to talk with Marlins bench coach Luis Pipe Urueta about his baseball journey, his rise in the MLB coaching ranks, and how a specific and very important moment in Marlins history actually helped fuel his desire to pursue a baseball career and the full circle moment that has now come with him being part of Skip Schumacher's staff down here in Miami. With that, here is Luis Urueta. So I guess just to start off, we're a month into the season, you're a few months into the organization. Just how do you feel you're settling in and how do you feel things have gone from your perspective with your role and right. things on that front right. so far? Okay, no, it's it's been good. It's been uh, obviously coming from uh, an organization where I spent more than 20 years as a player, as a minor league coach, as a big league coach. It's a challenge, obviously, getting to know new people. Uh, getting to know new players, evaluating uh, the minor leagues, evaluating the talent in the minor leagues, um, getting to know front office people, coaching staff. So definitely challenging. Um, spring training, getting to know a new facility, you know, being in Salt River for so many years, running for Salt River for so many years, it was challenging. But uh, but at the same time, for me, it was good. It was good. Um, I'm always open to uh, meet new places and new challenges in my life. and. And uh, I, I adapt pretty well to different scenarios, and, uh, and I have enjoyed it. I, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a new challenge. It's a team that I follow since I was a young kid in Colombia. So um, obviously, like working, evaluating, putting together a new team, um, trying to be a glue for the guys, you know, build a good team chemistry is part of my job. And, you know, seeing it now, you know, having a uh, uh, winning record so far, it's I think it's um, it's um, it feels good. Yeah, and with that, you mentioning the new challenge. What was Skip's message or the Marlins' message to you when they approached you about being bench coach here, and what made you want to embrace a new challenge after being in an organization and being with Arizona as long as you were? What made you want right. to go over? What was their message to you, and what was your thought process behind coming over here? Yeah, I I um. I knew Skip um, as a opposing uh, bench coach when he was with uh, San Diego and respected the way he went about it, um, know where he's coming from, um, know his philosophy. You know, I was spent a little bit, a brief time with the Cardinals as well, so I kind of know how they think, how they go about it, um, and I know what he wanted to do here. So that obviously grabbed my attention immediately. Um, knew the role that they were calling me for. Um, I'm all about preparation. He talked about preparation. I talked about communication. Talked about accountability. All those type of things that I believe in. And and I thought it was a good opportunity for me to move on. Obviously, you know, spending so much time in Arizona, 
um, you might not want to move, but I think um, it was the right time to move, and the people that he was bringing over um, along with him, I think was uh, great people that I I was looking forward to um, work with. So like I I saw the challenge and I saw the room for growth. So that um, that made me um, my decision easier. Yeah, and you had some familiarity with Mel and with Beef and having some guys who were on the staff who right. were able to. Were you, did you talk with either of them before coming over as well? I did. I did. I mean, obviously, Beef um, works with me in um, winter ball. Mm-hmm. He's been. I mean, he's a friend, a brother since we played together with the Diamondbacks. Um, I worked with him in um, in the Dominican Republic um, in both teams that I've worked down there. Um, he was my pitching coach. I was a manager uh, the last three years. So my relationship with Biv, it's enormous. I kind of know the organization because of Beef. And then Mel was probably one of my biggest mentors, um, pitching-wise probably the biggest one, um, when I was a field coordinator, uh, rookie ball manager. Um, so I, 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 I knew those guys. So coming here along with them and being with them, like it was, it made the transition easier. Um, guys like John Jay that I coached him for a couple of years with Arizona. Um, I knew we had a great staff, you know, watching Brent Brown from the other side in LA. Um, so for me, it was coming, um, coming to a new place with people that I already knew in the past, and I knew that we were going to do good things around here. Uh, for those who don't know what a bench coach's role is, what is the typical day-to-day for you? It's more of the preparation and putting together like uh, a series together. Like in spring training, obviously you saw it uh, firsthand. Like I'm um, scheduling and the whole grind of spring training. Um, obviously, like you know, new staff, new philosophy. Uh, we wanted to make sure that everything was what we uh, envisioned it prior to. Um, so just um, you know, covering some of um, Skip's blind spots. You know, he's he's he's, and he's, he's got his hands full. Um, with media, um, everything, the team, you know. So I kind of like try to uh, fill in those blanks, that those gaps, and um, obviously the the Latin impact in this team it's big. So um, you know, having that relationship with players and you know dominating the language, also it's a, a big part of it. You know, so it's basically a complement of what Skip of Skip, and um, and I think we do a, a great job. You know, he's he's we think alike, and and I know when he misses something, I'll be there to tell him what uh, what I think, and I, I think it's uh it's it's a good thing. Yeah, you mentioned at the beginning that you followed the Marlins early on. You remember reading something about how Edgar Renteria's hit in the World Series right. was right. something helped spark you. Can you just right. take me back to where you were that day, that moment, and just what that meant for you to see? someone of Colombian heritage do something that big and on that big of a stage yeah. and how much that helped sort of spark things for you yeah for, so I, I started playing a little bit late on, in you know, my childhood I you know I started playing maybe like when I was like 13 or 14 um, but once once I was already like I was a senior in high school that's when like things started to get um, serious and then that's exactly when Edgar um, had that winning base hit um, to win the World Series Edgar from my hometown. I didn't know him at the time. I was in, I was in, I was still in high school, and I remember exactly the day how it happened. And then remember also like waiting for Edgar to come back home, and the whole city was gonna receive him. You know, the whole, the whole um, fireman car. You know, the whole parade. And and then I finally got to meet him, 
um, before I signed as a professional player with the Diamondbacks. Um, and then we created a great relationship. Like he's been a friend for so many years, ever since, and you know, um, great advisor for me. Like he's always, you know, he's always giving me great advice when I was a player, as a coach. Um, now as a coach and manager in winter ball, like he always comes with me. The World Baseball Classic, I had him as a bench coach uh, for Team Columbia. So um, again, me being so familiar to what he did here in Miami. And um, the proximity, Miami, Columbia, all my friends, my high school friends live in Miami. Like, it's all, there's a lot of things that I liked about coming coming here. Yeah, and just 25 years later, sort of that full circle for you. Just for sure. What's that like when, did you put two and two together when things were happening in the moment or? Uh, honestly, no. And obviously something that you always envision, like your team and, you know, you're being a fan, but then like. Like there's all their 29 teams, and then you know having the opportunity and how it played out uh, with Skip coming over, and like it's just like I think sometimes God put things into place, you know. And uh, and coming here to Miami, it's been a blessing for me. I'm I'm super excited for the opportunity. Um, enjoying every every second, every moment. Like it's just like um, the World Baseball Classic, the Futures Game. I did the Futures Game here in Miami too. Like, and nowadays, so like it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool how everything uh, fall into place, and now I'm here. Uh, if baseball didn't work out, what do you think you would have been doing? Uh, I don't know. I was pretty big into. Uh, I was a huge soccer fan, and I played a little bit. Uh, I still, I'm still a huge fan, and wanted to do that. Obviously, um, soccer back in Colombia, it's a big, big thing, and you gotta be really, good, really good to. Uh, to turn into a uh, professional player, but uh, but I, I I grew up in uh, my parents were both teachers. Okay. Uh, my dad was a teacher. My mom was a teacher when she was alive, and I grew up watching them teach, and that's what I enjoy. I enjoy helping other people. I enjoy it. Um, I always was a good teammate. So I mean I I I mean believe it or not, at one point of my career, I'm like you know what if this doesn't work out, I think I. I could be I could be a coach. I, I want to help out others. I don't feel like um, I don't feel frustrated because I couldn't make it as a player. All the opposite. I want to teach people and I want to teach players um, of my mistakes, what I did wrong, how mentally I couldn't um, overcome, you know, performance. And uh, so that's that's what I pretty much focus on. And two more things. The first, away from baseball, away from the diamond, away from work, the little bit of time you do have. Where are some of your hobbies away from the sport? Yeah, or what so, do you do in your downtime? I guess right, would be the so, way to... So that's... that's uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say that's one of my biggest um, uh, weaknesses oh, yeah. is that I don't have so much downtime in off-season because, like, the last... I don't know, the last 14, 13 years, I've been uh, part of Winter Balls um, seasons back in first in Colombia for four years and then the last eight seasons in the Dominican Republic. So... Basically, my season's over here, and I'm gonna fly the next very, the very next day to the Dominican for spring training in the Dominican. Then the, the the full season, playoffs, Caribbean series, back to spring training. So um, I've been blessed to have a beautiful wife that she's always been supportive of my job. Um, my kids, the same thing. You know, they they got used to it. They they they've been used to this for the last year. So. Um, but I do like to listen to music. I love the beach. So probably one of, beside work and beside going to the Dominican and be part of a, 
the Dominican winter ball. I think it's just like enjoying um, the coast, the, the island, you know, enjoying all the beaches that I visit. Um, so for me, that's that's part of part of my my hobbies. It's that it's just getting to know new places, travel whenever I can. Obviously, work helps out because I'm over there in the Dominican. But uh, that's pretty much what I what I enjoy. Where is your favorite place to travel to so far? Well, I mean, again, the DR, the yeah. DR. I, I I love the DR. I mean, I will mention that I spent four years playing in Italy, and I have Italian roots. Um, and playing in Italy also like helped me like get to know new places and 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 um, visit um, a different continent. I would love to go back as a tourist, not as a player. Um, but Italy, Dominican, those are places that I that I really enjoy. And then last question, just you see the team, we're about a month into the season, just your overall thoughts on what you've seen from the group and what do you think is the potential of this team? I, I, I think um, the, the the way these guys go about it, these guys are a lot of veteran players here that have done it in the past. Um, probably people were doubting a little bit in spring training. You know, we weren't hitting much. Um, we weren't hitting homers. Maybe defense wasn't our strength, but um, these guys knew what they were doing. You know, they prepared themselves. You know, Seguro will be fine. Uh, you know, Julie's a veteran. These guys have, have done it, have done it a lot, and they know what they're doing. So, you know, hopefully we keep it up. Hopefully our pitching, you know, keeps um, um, stays healthy. That's a big thing. You know, we need to stay healthy. I know, um, you know, when you play for so long, obviously health is an issue, and, and I hope our, our young guys, whenever they get a chance to contribute, um, they do. So um, we are preparing the way we have to prepare. Um, it is a tough uh, division, obviously. You know, see the Braves, see the Mets, um, but we are competing and we are winning series, and that's what we gotta continue doing. So, you know, staying positive, staying healthy, and keep pre- keep keep preparing the way that we should prepare uh, to face these teams. And I want to thank Urueta uh, for taking the time to talk with me last week. It was very extensive interview, and gonna have a full story based off that interview on the Herald website. So make sure to check that out as well. And to wrap up this week's episode, time for the usual minor league roundup. I rose, I did a story on Monday on the Herald website, highlighting 10 guys who had very strong Aprils, very strong first months of the minor league season. I'm not going to touch on all of them here. Instead, I'm going to note a few who I haven't really highlighted as much throughout the first couple weeks of the season. And we'll go from the upper levels all the way down from upper levels in Jacksonville all the way down to Jupiter. And so starting in AAA, Xavier Edwards, the 23 year old switch hitting infielder. Marlins acquired him from in that trade with the Rays when they also got JT Chargois in November. He's done about just about a little bit of everything. He's hitting 308, 427 on base percentage. He has 15 walks against just eight strikeouts, along with 21 runs scored and seven stolen bases. And while he's a natural infielder, he's been splitting time between second base and center field so far in Jacksonville, sort of taking the Jazz Chisholm approach where the Marlins are trying to use his athleticism to basically to open up his range defensively. And that, of course, if you're able to have that extra versatility, it should give him a faster track up to the big leagues, especially the way he's hitting. Uh, down in double A, there's going to be a few guys here that I touch on. I'll start with Jeffrey Yan, the 26-year-old lefty reliever, was out in the fall league last fall, got big league invite to camp in spring training, and so far this year, he's faced 46 batters over 11 innings. He's only struck out 23 of them. Half of his 
batters he's faced struck out. No big deal. Uh, 0.83 ERA over 11 innings throughout eight, 11 innings of work over eight appearances. And to stay on the mound in double A, Evan Fitterer just got promoted to double A last week. His first outing with Pensacola was six shutout innings with eight strikeouts. Before that, three starts in high A Beloit, where he had, where he allowed just five runs over 15 and two thirds innings with 18 strikeouts. Uh, he was the Marlins fifth round pick back in 2019. Took a little bit of time to get going, obviously, as has been the case with a lot of those guys who were drafted right around that 2019-2020 time. No minor league season in 2020 due to COVID, so his schedule got pushed back a bit. He's 22, just getting a double A, so still has a lot of time and and starting to finally put some results together and getting up to the upper minors is obviously a big deal. And on the position player side in double A, Troy Johnston. He was a guy who I touched on a lot last year. And through the first month in double A, 25-year-old first baseman, he has a 963 OPS in 19 games, 17 hits so far, 16 of those 17 hit, 13 of those 17 hits, sorry, have gone for extra bases. Six doubles, three triples, four home runs. And he also has a team high tying 15 RBI through 19 games. Uh, Troy's probably, when you look at the Marlins minor leagues depth, he's their closest thing to a pure first baseman in the upper minors. Also have Gerard Encarnacion as an option, but again, the Marlins ideally would like for him to be an outfielder. Jordan Groshen, same thing. He gets reps between third, first and third, but third is ideally where they want to see him. So Troy Johnson is really their main guy right now when it comes to first base in terms of prospects to look at down the line. And then last guy I'm going to talk about, uh, Jorge Caballero. Uh, not a name who gets brought up much. 23-year-old guy in single-A Jupiter. He has an 881 OPS with 9 RBI and 13 runs scored. And he has as many walks as strikeouts. 12 walks, 12 Ks. Good start for him. Uh, there are a couple other guys in double in low-A, single-A Jupiter that are doing well. we got guys like Ian Lewis, Jordan McCants, a couple of the bigger-name prospects. And we will most likely be touching on them later on down the road. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's see what May has in store for us. And we'll be back again next week.